The football world was shaken up by the frightening injury to DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. Thankfully, today's updates have been very positive. Joining us to discuss that and the league's response, along with a look ahead to Seattle's big weekend, is the ringer's Shiel Kapadia. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my joyous producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling honestly pretty joyous, Jackson. You know, after uh, DeMar Hamlin collapsed in the middle of Monday Night Football, felt pretty grim for a few days. Felt like we were moving through a haze covering... The NFL at large, the sport of football, everything surrounding that. And so we got some great news today. So definitely feeling better about the entire situation, as I'm sure many people can relate to. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's kind of the thing with being a fan of the NFL. You know, it there is barbarism at the heart of this sport. And we all have to make our peace with that a little bit as fans. Um, but every once in a while, something happens that makes you pause and and really think about it. You know, everything that came out about CTE a number of years ago and, and how the league was handling that before their hand was forced on it. Um, you know, this, this kind of feels like that a little bit, but all in all today has been a very good day on the DeMar Hamlin front. And I mean, the NFL is a massive, seemingly unstoppable machine that has dominated the sports landscape and television ratings for decades. But it ground to a halt this week when Hamlin had that terrifying on-field heart issue. And like many of you listening, Mike and I have been glued to the updates on Hamlin's health. And today, the sporting world receives some very encouraging updates. Uh, Mike, you, you've got a couple of quotes from his doctor. Yeah, so he, he was conscious. And one of the first things that he asked via writing, because I believe he's intubated, was, did we win? Who won the game? <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, they responded with, you've won the game of life. And then uh, everyone was saying that it's not just that the lights are on. It appears he's whole. So, you know, seems that he's all there mentally, which was, you know, a grave concern. And so awesome yeah. news. And, you know, these these doctors were just getting quotes off left and right. So, I mean, maybe Gino was in oh, the building, yeah, man. man. They, Gino was. Dr. Pitts was ready for his moment. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Exactly. So positive news. Very positive news. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it. I was like, uh, you know, Hamlet comes out. He wants to know how his boys did and if they had won and the doc hits him with that great one-liner and you know he was just like all right that's awesome doc but like seriously did we win <laughs> yes yes <laughs> uh sorry kiddo we we called the game but uh yeah i mean the fact that that he's doing well it sounds like his his parents um you know his dad has been talking with the team and telling them to get out there and go play and that's what Demar wants you know that's it's all good stuff and and it sounds like you know the the NFL bulwark will continue to move forward um, but hopefully a little bit more consciously um, as we do it we're going to talk more about this specifically what it could mean for the sport moving forward as well as take a look ahead to the major implications of this weekend's games uh, especially the Seahawks matchup with the Rams that carries massive playoff import with it Sitting down to do that with us is none other than the marvelous Shiel Kapadia of The Ringer. In addition to his wonderful job he does there, you may recognize Shiel from his work with The Athletic and ESPN, including his time as a member of the Seahawks Beat. We're thrilled to have you back, Shiel. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, good to be here. Good to see you guys. Yeah, Shiel, it's been a very weird week. Uh, I think it's safe to say the recovery of Damar Hamlin, who by literally all accounts is just a wonderful person, is top of mind for all of us. Yeah, it's like you were saying at the beginning, right? We all sit down on a Sunday or a Monday night or a Thursday night and like the on-field product, I mean, there's nothing better than it. I'm sure mm -hmm. you guys, I've been watching it since I, I honestly don't know how old I was, probably five or six uh, years old. And since then, I was just hooked. It was exciting. It was fun. I read about it, talked about it, uh, listened to sports talk radio and then podcasts about it. Uh, and then you have the, the other side of it, which you mentioned, which you kind of there are things you can sort of come to terms with, with 
the NFL and then there's something like this, which was kind of just uh, on a totally different level, you know, something we had never seen before. And so uh, it has been sort of a challenging week. Like, you know, y'all it's, it's playoff. It's almost playoff time in the right. NFL. And you're talking about one aspect of it, but nothing sort of felt right. And then uh, finally got some, some good news, as you guys mentioned today, uh, you know, he's not, totally out of the woods and it's not a guarantee that everything's going to be okay, but just to kind of pass a certain threshold um, where we know he's communicating there through, uh, through writing and the doctors uh, are encouraged and positive signs and all that. So uh, I was just refreshing, you know, checking my feeds. Hey, come on, give give me some good news. Give me some good news uh, really every day since, uh, since Monday night. And, you know, I'm sure they didn't want to overstate stuff until uh, you actually could say something positive. And so that happened today. So, yeah, absolutely uh, a positive sign. Yeah. And and today is really the first day since Monday night that I've, I have felt like talking about actual football. And uh, and, you know, I just I just needed to hear that it was it was going to be OK. One thing I want to mention is the response of the NFL fan base, just not, not just Bill's fans, but the incredible fundraising that has happened in the wake of this injury has been really remarkable to see well over $3 million last I had heard had been raised with this toy drive that the original goal was 2,500. And I mean, how cool is it? The guy started a toy drive when he was still in college. I mean, he wasn't making any money yet. Um, you know, there's, uh, the Chasing M's Foundation that is receiving a lot of support now. Uh, it's at seven and a half million right now, by the way. Oh my gosh, seven and a half million. That's that's so incredible. Uh, you know, that's that's been a really really awesome thing to see, and and kudos to everyone who has been uh, chipping in. I know one of the fantasy leagues that I'm in. Um, you know that that game getting canceled left the league in the lurch. It was championship weekend, and and. The, the way we do it is we've got four teams that instead of head-to-head, they, they got two weeks to score as many points as possible, and you pay out the top three um, based on how that goes. And, and the top three were all close. It was in the balance. So what they decided to do is chop the pot and donate to a couple of these foundations. And and you know there's just a ton of that going on. So really, really cool to see. But, Sheil, you mentioned something. You know, you said this is unlike anything we've seen before, and that was one question I had for you. The, the closest thing to this that – I've experienced was with Ricardo Lockett uh, and and Seahawks fans will remember this. Of course, I believe it was in Dallas on a punt return and he was nearly paralyzed on the field, but you know, that's the scariest situation I had seen on field prior to this. But even with that, after the long delay and they got him loaded up, he was able to raise his arm and throw an L in the air, say, Hey, you know, I'm all right. We didn't get that with this. You know, we we've got, hundred football players and all the coaches and tens of thousands of fans in the stands that witness this, that are wondering, is this guy alive? You know? And, and I mean, you could, you could just see it on these players faces, man. I mean, these are guys who have been through everything, who have seen everything, who have seen, if not themselves, their, their brothers, their friends, their teammates go through really horrific injuries to get where they're at. And, and this was, was beyond. Yeah, they've they've gone through really, you know, like uh, now it feels like a torn Achilles is nothing because of what we've seen. But like a torn Achilles, I mean, that could totally change a person's uh, career, life, whatever, you know, back injuries. You mentioned uh, the the Lockett thing. Yeah, Ricardo Lockett, that was when I was there, I believe, 2015 Mm -hmm. uh, or 16. And you're right. We put so much stock in the sign the player gives before they leave the field. I I this isn't my original thought. I just can't remember who said it first, but it's like there's a horrific injury and you're all kind of holding your breath and then the player gets put on a cart or stretcher or whatever and they give the thumbs up and that's like, okay, you're now allowed to go back and enjoy football. And yeah. minutes later, they're playing and you're cheering and third and eight, what are they going to do here? And yep. and like that's just how you're kind of conditioned uh, as you're watching, as you're playing, as you're coaching. I mean, one of my first years – uh, you know, covering the NFL 2011, I was at an Eagles training camp and a defensive tackle, Mike Patterson suffered a seizure and the guy is on the ground. He bit his tongue. So 
not to be too graphic, but there's blood coming out of his mouth. And it's similar. What reminded me with this bill situation is you just watch the teammates because the players know, I mean, they have the view they might've seen or heard what's going on. And I just remember one player throwing his helmet down and I'm like, Oh my goodness, what is going on here? 15 minutes later, they were, they were running the next part of practice. And yeah. luckily he was okay. He played again. He was fine, uh, you know, uh, after that. But uh, that, you know, that part like always sticks with me, even when I'm just at a practice or at a game. And I'm just like, how do you go from seeing your friend, your brother, your bro- the person you're spending all this time with suffer something so horrific and then 10, you know, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, you just have to be locked in uh, to what you're doing. Like, I I don't think that I could do that. Um, They've sort of been conditioned to do that since they were probably in middle school, high school, whatever. But uh, this was obviously something different because it was life or death. It wasn't a torn Achilles. It wasn't a torn ACL. It wasn't even, um, you know, even a horrific neck injury like this is was something totally different. Uh, And so um, in addition to commending what you said, I I would give credit to the coaches, I think, here, Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor, because I don't know, you know, the NFL is saying one thing and Joe Buck was saying one thing during the broadcast that they were told you have five minutes to regroup and Mm -hmm. then game and then play is going to resume. I don't know where that message came from. It came from somewhere, but it really looked to me like it was the two coaches who looked at their players and know, as you guys know, NFL coaches sometimes like, you know, that humanity, like sometimes it's just like, keep playing. Let's go. We have a job to do here. Rally around. And they didn't do that. And they looked at their players and realized what was happening. And, uh, you know, it really seemed to me, they were kind of the driving force between no, that everyone go to the locker room. We're not playing this game right now. So I thought that, um, trying to take some positives, you know, out of some of this, that, that was another one for sure. McDermott and Zach Taylor. Yeah. Both Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor really came through as leaders of men in that situation. Um, and, and that's the part of the coaching job that I think is really easy for us to forget when we're criticizing them about plays that they are challenging or timeouts that they're wasting or uh, play calls on second and 10. You know, you, you forget that these are leaders of men. And, and it's such a sharp contrast. You know, I, I believe that Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor really are good, genuine people. But I, I also think that the expectations for coaches in the NFL have, have changed. You know, it, it, it used to be a lot more leaning into just the barbaric nature of it. I'll never forget an interview I heard with Drew Bledsoe talking about his first uh, training camp with Bill Parcells and they were running wind sprints. And I, I think the deal was they weren't, you know, it was the old Bear Bryant wasn't giving them water, this kind of thing. And one of the linemen passed out and was laying there and, uh, you know, assistant coaches, paramedics were working on him and Parcells walked by and told one of the coaches when he wakes up, tell him he's been cut and, and drew Bledsoe realizing, holy shit, like this is, this is the league, you know? And, and so now you've got just a different approach to that, a much more like you put human approach. And, and I think that's really, really important to keep in mind that, um, these were two men who were leading their teams in a very, very important game. And they said, you know what, no matter what happens after this, we, we got to call this right now, but uh, pivoting back to the league, you, you kind of talked about, we're trying to figure out, there's a little bit of a PR game being played, uh, to figure out exactly how the NFL was handling this. What are you, what are your impressions overall with how the NFL has approached this and, and whether you think there'll be kind of any changes moving forward um, if we see other injuries this serious? Yeah, it's tough to say with changes because this wasn't the, you know, this wasn't that hit that I know I feared seeing, you know, that mm-hmm. just that like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the speed, the violence, the force with which one player hit another and this is going to change football forever. Like, as far as routine football plays go, and it's easy for me to say, I'm not the one getting hit on a routine football play, um, but this was pr- pretty routine. So yeah. uh, I don't think there's any change um, in, in terms of that, that I see, you know, there's no rule change or anything like that that could prevent what we saw there. I think in terms of like the in-stadium protocols, it seems like 
they did a good job with that. It I does. mean, thank God, you know, the, the, the stuff they had in place. So maybe just kind of reassessing that, Hey, was there anything else we could have had here? You need to be ready for a worst case scenario. I mean, the thing I think where we, maybe we do see some change and it would be for the better. And I heard, uh, Dominique Foxworth talking about this is just in terms of like players and health insurance mm -hmm. and what's covered and when when that stuff starts getting uh covered the sort of risk that they uh, have every time they play where everybody's not getting paid 10 million dollars a year and they might play two years and those two years might change what they need medically for the rest of their lives those types of things so uh, i generally view it a little cynically you know with the mm -hmm. league with ownership um just being honest, like I, I don't like giving them the benefit of the doubt on this stuff because uh, too often we've seen their instincts uh, are not good. And even, you know, like I was trying not to be too cynical, but with like the, the you know, money raised for DeMar Hamlin's foundation and the owners, you know, pitching in 10,000, 25,000, like that's great. Don't get me wrong. You appreciate that they did that there are bigger, you know, there are bigger issues. Like there are the next time that collective bargaining agreement, uh, comes up and you're negotiating, like, are you going to be willing to talk about what happened here and you know, what you could do for players to give them a little bit uh, more security after their playing days are over, even when they are playing. So, um, maybe we see some changes there, honestly, most likely probably don't. We'll all be watching this weekend. We'll all be watching the playoffs. We'll hope that DeMar Hamlin's fine. And then the next thing, something catastrophic happens. We'll have the conversations again, and then we'll watch again, and we'll forget about it. I mean, it's sad. I hope that's not the case. You know, hopefully, uh, if this were something that were to spur some change, that would be fantastic, and maybe it will. Um, it just it feels like that's usually the cycle that we kind of get in. Yeah, and the CBA stuff is what I was going to ask you about next. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on it because they just agreed to one pretty recently, you know, and it's, it's hard to make these changes, um, you know, in, in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement period. Uh, but to your point, I mean, this is something that, yes, I'm, I'm with you. It's great that these owners kicked in some five figure donations. Um, that's, that's better than nothing. It, it does feel like PR though, because one of the losses that the players association took in this last collective bargaining agreement was the benefits, the post-playing benefits. It's something they pushed hard for. And a lot of their coverages uh, took a hit. You know, the NFL pushed really hard against taking better care of these players when it was actually time chips down. That was not something they were willing to budge on. That is something they fought hard for. And as they look to increase the number of games that are played, it just, it's really difficult to square up these feelings like, okay, you know what? Yeah, we want to make sure Hamlin's taken care of with the way that they approached the negotiations uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, no, it, it's well said. And honestly, it's probably, uh, you know, like my job, other, like if you're in the media, it's, pro it, it's probably on you to uh, sort of find out what are the facts, you know, use your voice, use your influence about what you think is right. That, that was one thing I heard Foxworth talking about is that like the, the public pressure does matter and who's winning that uh, PR battle, you know, is, is it ownership saying, Hey, the players are being too greedy or is it the other way around? And it's like, you know, you, you can look at it and say, well, the players agreed to all this, but you know, it's a negotiation. You're not going to get everything that you want. So uh, hopefully stuff like this kind of brings those conversations more to the forefront. Uh, I think, you know, so again, someone like Foxworth or whoever who can make people more ed educated on kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what typically goes on behind the scenes, uh, there can be a little more balance and a little more security for the players, given, you know, what, what we saw and what kind of those worst case scenarios are. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about this particular incident that sets it apart from the other major on field uh, injuries and stuff that I've seen in my lifetime is that the talking point has been bigger than sports and, and it is now, you know, it's a, a major trending topic on Twitter all week. It's, it's been a talking point, um, in non-sports 
uh, talk shows and political talk shows and things like that. So I'm, I'm hoping that the increased pressure and visibility of it does lead to some increased benefits uh, to players by the league in the future. But I know that we're all breathing easier knowing that DeMar is breathing easier as well. And I do want to switch the focus, if I can, to the Seahawks game this past Sunday. Both Seattle and the New York Jets came in at 7-8, and eight, each having lost five of their past six games after surprising six and three starts. And yet, only one of those teams played the part of late-season slider. The Seahawks took care of business. They scored on their first three drives. They nursed that lead to the final gun, securing a 23-6 victory, moving back to 500 in the process. What stood out to you most about that game? Like you said, they just came out and jumped all over them. I mean, I thought it was going to be a tight game. I, I picked the Jets uh, in that game. I thought they were going to be – I can't figure – you know, the Seahawks – defense i can't really totally uh figure them figure them out early you in the season. Both, man. The, yeah it's the worst defense in the nfl then they go through a stretch well these young guys are playing their pete's got them back baby and then yeah. they go uh in the other direction so i was just thinking that the jets were going to be able to move the football in this game and that didn't really happen i mean the first play of the game kenneth walker goes what 60 yards and then from there it felt like the honestly felt like the game was pretty much over i mean the jets had some high leverage opportunities i felt like where whether it was a fourth down they're going for where they could have gotten back in the game and they didn't really capitalize uh on those but uh credit to the seahawks offense i mean that jets defense has been a good really good unit all year long and i thought they were going to give the Seahawks some trouble, but you know, the Seahawks were kind of able to play that complimentary football, build a lead, don't give it up, come up in those high leverage spots. And now they're in a good spot here going into week 18. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's trendy to paint Pete Carroll as this run first, uh, slow the game down, win with defense type of coach. And, and I think at his core, that is what he wants to be. And, and this game was that, you know, I, I, described it on Sunday as a Pete Carroll wet dream yes. where you just, <laughs> you just hammer the run game. Um, guys were hitting their blocks. Walker was making the most of it. The defense looked terrific. Um, it should be noted, however, and this is not isolated to this season. The Seahawks have been a top five team in neutral script passing this year. Um, Pete Carroll has shown a willingness to lean into the strength of his teams and in this case that's for most of the season that's been Gino in the passing game but it had to be nice um it was a bit of a revenge game not just for Gino but for Pete Carroll as well he even talked about how you know they they felt united in this because they both didn't have the tenures in New York with the Jets that they had hoped to have and uh, it, it had to be so nice for Carroll to just take the pressure off of the past game off of Gino. I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, they combined for three catches for 18 yards. Like they didn't have to do anything in this game and they still won comfortably. Uh, that just had to feel good in Pete's soul. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I think uh, even when I was there covering the team, I liked asking uh, Pete about those Jets days. He certainly doesn't forget uh, <laughs> what happened there or uh, how, how he was wrong there. Or I remember he would always talk about the lack of, uh, you know, unity between front office and coach there. Like they were mm. misaligned, you know, they would mm -hmm. draft a player and he would be, why are you drafting this guy? Uh, this isn't the guy who can play in my defense. And that's been, I was thinking recently about, you know, him and John Schneider to be together for this long. Like I think it was when the Titans fired their GM, you know, John yeah. Robinson during the season. I was just thinking like, Egos in the NFL, man, it, it is hard to just not, not even be good for that long, but just to be together for that long. Like it, it usually doesn't happen. So, yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, Pete probably likes uh, likes beating the Jets any opportunity he has. I know that was sort of a moment in his career. I, I forget what his actual quote was. They, they can't kill you if you're dead or something. I remember he said uh, back in the day, but uh, I'm sure that felt good. I'm sure this has just honestly been a, a gratifying season for him. You know, I did not see this coming at all. We were talking about it before I came on air. I mean, I thought the Seahawks were going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. I actually didn't think that was necessarily going to be a terrible thing. Cause I thought, you know what, if they finish with the top five pick, they've got the rust pick. They're going to be able to rebuild pretty well. And in 2023, they can come back with Bryce Young or whoever, and they can, you know, one down year, like most fan bases would kind of kill for that. 
And honestly, it, it didn't happen. I mean, they surprised me. They've had an efficient offense. You mentioned it. The passing game has been their strength with Geno. Uh, it's so rare to have these young players contributing to the degree that the Seahawks are having the young players contribute. So um, I had him, I, I think I had Pete as my coach of the year, at like the midway point of the sure. season. They've had some ups and downs since then. So I don't think that would be my final vote, but uh, it, it's uh, I'm sure for you guys, the best seasons I always say are the ones that kind of come out of nowhere yeah. where you have no expectations and you're like, all right, this is what we do. We sit down on Sunday and we watch and then, you know, Oh, they won a game. Oh, they won another game. Hey, this season's kind of fun. I mean, those to me are the most fun seasons because when you have a really good and talented team that everyone's picking to go far, then you kind of always have that sense of dread. Like, you know what? You make the second round of the playoffs and lose, that's going to be a right. disappointment. So right. that, that's kind of how I view it for, for the Seahawks this year. It, it has to have been a, a really fun season for you guys, right? Yeah, it, it has. And, and I appreciate you acknowledging that because um, we've become a victim of outsized expectations for the last five years. You know, you, you win more games than any team in the NFL over a four-year stretch. You're, you're dominant for most of those all of a sudden one playoff win isn't enough. And then making the playoffs isn't enough. And now, you know, coming into this year, I, I wouldn't say that my expectations were, were quite as low as one of the worst teams in the NFL, but it was absolutely within the range of outcomes. I wouldn't have been shocked if that's how it went. And fortunately the, the Broncos have allowed the Seahawks to win guilt-free this year without feeling like they're giving up their top five pick. Uh, they've they've kind of taken care of that for them. Seattle's going to end up drafting with their two picks exactly where I thought they would going into the season, just with the picks transposed. And, uh, and so that's been kind of an added benefit, but you're right. You know, uh, having those expectations removed. And then of course they win four in a row and they're six and three and leading the division. All of a sudden they get set right back on, on your shoulders. Um, but overall, you know, it's been really refreshing. And I think it was a really necessary reset uh, for this fan base. And, and to your point, you are not alone in feeling like you got it wrong with this team. Um, I, I did as well. I thought they would win six games. They might win nine. Um, and, and the thing I was really wrong about was pushing really, really hard where if Russ and Pete are going to divorce, keep Russ and, and get a different coach. And, and, you know, who knows, who knows how that would have gone? Um, who knows who they would have hired in, in Pete Carroll's place if that's the direction that they had chosen to go, but it's hard to imagine it being any better than it is right now. And certainly uh, I think it would be a lower ceiling if if that was the case. Pete has shown us once again that he is an elite program builder and he's he's got these guys bought in and they're young and they're fierce and, and the arrows pointed up. It's, it is very exciting. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh with with Russ, it's uh it, it's kind of funny just looking but now I feel like all his good seasons. Like, no, those aren't even acknowledged anymore. I'm like, no, I, I watched know. this guy. This guy was a really good player. But the way he's played this year has been so bad, and they've been so disappointing that now, you know, it's kind of shifted all the other, oh, you know, he, he was never good. And, right. uh, and and it's like, well, no, I trust me. With my eyes, I've seen him. He he was really good. So uh, I don't know. what I, I, I didn't think his floor was as low as it's been this year in Denver, you know, I could, I could buy the idea that, uh, he was a declining player and he wasn't going to be great. You know, maybe like the 16th best quarterback, they were going to finish eight and nine, but to see the way that thing went, uh, in Denver, I mean, you know, sometimes when a player goes somewhere else, you kind of find out how good the coaching was in the previous place. You know what I mean? Like yes. when, like when Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh, and then you saw how the rest of his career went. You're like, oh my God, Mike Tomlin, <laughs> how was he doing this that whole time? Holy cow. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's somewhat similar here. I, I think, uh, at least after one year with Russell Wilson, I mean, we'll see who they get in there and how it goes, but you're kind of looking at it going, oh my gosh, that thing went sideways. There are players yelling at each other on the sideline. The fan base is sick, you know, sick of him. The, uh, player, some players are yelling at him coming off the field, like all that stuff. And, you know, there was some of that stuff in Seattle and it was kept in house, but man, they won a lot of games. They had a good offense eight out of 10 years 
with Russell Wilson. They were in the playoffs all but what one year, uh, two years with Russell Wilson. And so um, it's kind of another credit to uh, to the coaching staff there, along with acknowledging that the 2022 version of Russell Wilson is not who he always was. No, no, no. There's a lot of revisionist history to your point. Yeah. And, you know, now there's this idea that Russ was propped up and, and I don't think that's the case. I do think he was an elite quarterback for most of his time in Seattle and at the worst, a very good one. Um, and, and personally, my short and fraud ends after this season. I am rooting hard against Russ and the Broncos for this season only because I have a vested interest in their draft picks after this. I would love to see Wilson kind of get back on track. I think, you know, there's probably a personal reset necessary for that to happen. I think there were some assumptions, you know, maybe even uh, within himself that he was the savior coming in for, for Denver and, and it hasn't shaken out that way. So I, I do hope they get back on track. You know, Denver's success after this year is not tied to Seattle's fortunes in any direct way. And I, I would like to see, uh, this just be a low blip on on Russell Wilson's career radar, but um, you know, as as far as the Seahawks are going, I mean, you just you couldn't have set up the dominoes from that trade any better. What they've gotten from Geno, how they handled the draft picks that they got. I mean, this this has been one of the better drafts any NFL team has had uh, in a long time, and and it harkens back to the first three drafts of John Schneider's tenure with with Pete Carroll here. So um, all very, very exciting stuff. One thing that happened in that game against the Jets, though, that it was a huge bummer, is Jordan Brooks suffered a very serious knee injury. Um, you know, for the remainder of the game, the defense still looked really good. But, and and look, Jordan Brooks has his detractors as well. I think he's a really good player. There is no one on that roster that can just step in and do what he does. It sounds like they're going to shift Cody Barton over and then maybe, you know, work Tanner Muse in as, as kind of the weak side linebacker or something like that. But, you know, when you look at this defense and, and l let me back up a little bit and then we'll zero in on the defense is what you saw from Seattle on Sunday as a whole sustainable. And then as a little microcosm of that, can the defense continue to play the, the way they did? in Brooks's absence. Yeah, I think offensively, you know, you, you were mentioning like the the pass rate. I think it was a good acknowledgement that they they haven't had it with the run game for most of the season, you know, just if you look at DVOA or your eye test or whatever uh, numbers. And part of that has been to obviously the massive injuries. And now you have Kenneth Walker back. So maybe you can get more uh, out of the run game, but offensively it's been sustainable. I mean, they've been pretty consistent not that every week has been perfect but I feel like you know they had some bumps in the road here in the second half of the season but overall uh, I think they've had an above average offense there with Geno Smith executing the offense he's made some really high level throws uh, for them some you know if you just took his like 10 best throws of this season. I'm not going to say they'd be up there with anybody, but they'd be up there with like most quarterbacks in yes. the NFL. You know, it's, it's not like he's just throwing to wide open guys um, and everything schemed up for him. So I think he's certainly done a nice job. You mentioned it with the draft. I mean, it's, it's rare to get two starting offensive tackles in the same track like that. That just doesn't, you know, happen. That you know, never happens. Two, that never happens Two competent offensive tackles in the same draft. So that's why when I looked at them going into the season, I looked at just the premium positions, corner tackle quarterback. And I go edge rusher. And I go there. This is, is not, you can't have a good team with these players right. because I always think after the draft, what happens, it's kind of the opposite. It's that you look at teams and you go, well, no, no, they drafted this guy, this guy, and this guy. They're going to be okay. And what you find out most of the time with most teams is that the rookies can't contribute at the level at which the Seahawks uh, rookies are contributing this year. So, uh, yeah, I think offensively it's sustainable. Defensively, I have my questions. I mean, you mentioned it. Jordan Brooks, what, 161 tackles or something, top, top five in the NFL. Yep. What's a bummer? I hate seeing guys get injured this late into the yes. year because then it affects the start uh, of the following season. So I think their defense is probably going to play to the 
opposing offense. You know what I mean? Like if they play a great offense, uh, I could see them getting picked apart. It's going to come down to some high leverage plays. Uh, some take, do you get some takeaways? Do you bend, but don't break? Do you get some stops in the red zone? Those types of things. Uh, I still think they kind of have a, a talent deficit on that side of the ball where they, they just need sort of better players there, which I'm sure they'll address in the off season. But I, I think they're, you know, a mediocre, uh, mediocre to probably slightly below average, defense and so honestly a lot of defenses are bunched in that middle group i was trying to think today of what defense i trust and it's probably the 49ers and that's it and the 49ers just got lit up for 365 by jared stidham so (laughs) and that's the that's the defense i trust so it's just hard to play defense in the nfl in uh in 2022 yeah it's a reminder that everybody in the nfl is really fucking good at football you know and and that even the bad teams, quote unquote, bad teams have a lot of really good players on it. You just don't make it to this level without having insane talent. You know, one thing that was a really positive development that we've been waiting for all year was the pass rush in this game. And, and during their four game win streak, they got a bunch of sacks and a lot of it was being caused by Uchenna and Wosu, who has been just an absolute revelation this season for the Seahawks and, and a really underrated offseason move. But Daryl Taylor got two and a half sacks and we had a number of uh, your former colleagues on the Seahawks beat on the show leading up to the season. Um, and, and, you know, and I'd ask them, who's the player that you're expecting to take the leap this year to a man, they said, Daryl Taylor, and, and it hadn't happened. And then he went ballistic on Sunday and, and you're right. You know, if you're going to beat good teams, you have to be disruptive. It can't just be getting stops in the red zone or counting on getting stops in the red zone. You need sacks, you need turnovers. And that's what this team did. And I think that if that's something that they can continue with, if they can continue to get three, four five sacks in a game, it takes a lot of pressure off of whoever's filling in for Jordan Brooks and certainly makes things easier on the back end of the defense. Yeah, no doubt. Those sacks are drive killers. You know, the way they want to play uh, defense, I think they're, they're the second highest rate of zone coverage in the NFL, the Seahawks. So we kind of know how they want to play. Now it's different than those, as you guys know, those, you know, Richard Sherman Seahawks teams there. Now they're mixing in uh, more split safety looks along with that cover three, but it's still going to be a zone heavy scheme where you're trying to create disruptive plays up front with your front four. So uh, if he can go on a, a run here, whether it's this weekend or into the playoffs, uh, that, that would obviously be huge for them. I saw somewhere, and I want to say it was Football Outsiders, but they were saying your chances of scoring on a drive where the offense suffers a sack is something like 20% of what it is if you don't have a sack. Like one play like that totally derails an offense. You, you call it a drive killer. That's it's the perfect uh, w- way to describe it, and, and Seattle just needs more of that. And as you know, as, as they move into this big game against the Rams this weekend, this is this is the biggest regular season game the Seahawks have had in quite some time. And you know, when when the schedule came out, I definitely thought that the Rams versus the Seahawks in Week 18 was going to be one of those games where you had one team with major playoff implications and one team that didn't. And that is the case. It's uh, it's not the teams that you would think uh, going in, but. These Rams are also a little bit different version than the ones that played Seattle a few weeks ago. And and the Seahawks barely squeaked out a victory thanks to the last-minute touchdown by DK Metcalf. But the Rams' offense has looked much better of late, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that improvement lines up with their acquisition of Baker Mayfield. Sean McVay has had Pete Carroll's number since coming into the league. Uh, I don't think this matchup is as lopsided as their records would indicate. When you look at this game, in your eyes, how do the Seahawks match up with this version of the Rams? Yeah, it's kind of like you said, McVay's had uh, had Carroll's number a little bit. I've been impressed with the job McVay has done. You know, I, I feel like uh, he's sort of, if you don't like McVay, it's because, you know, you just kind of think it's this uh, pretty boy offensive schemer who gets too much credit. And is, yeah. I mean, he, he had really an unprecedented start to his career. You know what? Five years, he's in the Super Bowl twice. He wins it once. Uh, they were pretty much always good. And really one of the underlying factors there was they were always healthy. I mean, if you looked at football outsiders, adjusted games lost every year, they were one of the healthiest teams in the NFL. And so their depth wasn't tested uh, that much, you know? And, and so the, if, if you're going to build a roster the way they've built a roster, 
you need that good injury luck. And then what's happened this year, they've gotten crushed by injuries and it's been a disaster. But you're right. I mean, they've been competitive. Like I thought that thing could go totally off the tracks there and it could be a complete disaster and they've gotten some wins and they've, they've been more competitive. I mean, they bring in Baker Mayfield. You're going, all right, what are they doing? This isn't going to work. And I mean, he's had some ups and downs, but certainly there's been some games, some moments in there, that game against the Broncos uh, on Christmas where the offense has looked better and they're playing without uh, Cooper cup and Allen. I mean, they've really got nobody at wide receiver. And so they've had some moments there. And then defensively, uh, they've just been really competitive with guys like Wagner and Jalen Ramsey. It's just like those guys aren't going to, you know, they're not in the business of going out there and going through the motions. I mean, they've been through it year in and year out. And so, yeah, I don't think it's a gimme. I think the line is six right now. Uh, I would not be surprised if this ends up being one of those weird uh, Seahawksy type games that comes down uh, to the wire and is actually, you know, a field goal wins it in the final two minutes or something. Yeah, I, I, I'm betting the Rams to cover six. I, I think Seattle wins this game probably, but it feels kind of like a 53 to 47 proposition, <laughs> not not anything like 70, 30 or anything like that. Uh, you did touch on one point there that I think is really important that we as fans keep in mind, and that is injury variance and just the massive impact that that has on the success of teams. And, you know, it's, it's not coincidental in my mind that the Rams have been one of the least injured teams during McVay's tenure. In fact, they have prior to this year had the fewest games uh, lost to injury of any team in the NFL by quite a bit over the last five years. And, and I think in the middle of the league, I think for most teams, it really is random variants, but the, the Rams medical staff is hailed across the league as being the best. And, and it's a really cool investment that that team has made in their medical personnel. And, and it's borne out for them. They have been really healthy and they've turned that into a lot of wins, but this is the first time they've really faced that kind of adversity. And, and you're right. McVeigh has not just been uh, this pretty boy, you know, front running, doing great when things are great type of, of coach this year. He's He's got those boys playing hard and competing down the stretch in games that, quote unquote, don't matter. Yeah, and he's been like pretty honest about how trying this has been from like a just hit, you know, a coach perspective, a mental perspective uh, for him this season, which I thought was uh, was pretty cool hearing him talk about that. I mean, you could see how much it meant to him that game against the Broncos. You know, they're out of the playoffs, but he's so excited about how well the offense is performing in that game. And it was just like, all right, finally, some stuff is working for us. So uh, I think he's done a good job. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious about that team in the offseason. You know, does McVay want to come back if this is sort of their prospects is Matt. I know Matthew Stafford has said he's coming back. Aaron Donald, they're just sort of in this weird spot. I think most likely everybody kind of comes back and they give it another shot uh, next year. The, the injury stuff is always tough for me. Like uh, I've read those stories too about the Rams. And I think it's great to have like best practices and invest. And then another part of me is just like, come on, you know, it's great to do that, but it's football. Like, are it you looking football. at what happens yeah. on like a regular three yard outside zone run? Like, I don't know how anyone gets up from that watching <laughs> these totally. offensive and defensive linemen. So there's always going to be a randomness to it, but I do think the smart teams, I think like the soft tissue stuff is probably that's where you can make a yeah. difference. You know, like what are you doing in training camp? How are you preparing? players uh, and avoid some of those injuries. Uh, the other stuff, as we know, it's just going to happen because it is a wild, violent uh, collision sport. You had touched on uh, Sean McVay discussing how trying it's been experiencing all of this losing this season. We've touched on Russell Wilson going to a situation where I think that they've wildly underperformed preseason expectations the same can be said for Bobby Wagner, who will be returning to Seattle for the first time in the visitor's locker room in his career. Bobby obviously put together a Hall of Fame career in Seattle. Sheil, what are you looking for uh, heading into Bobby's first 
time visiting the Seahawks stadium and hometown as the enemy. Yeah, that's that's going to be strange. Huh? I mean, how many years and snaps and tackles did he have as a Seahawk? And then the way it ended, I mean, you can tell regardless of whether uh, Carol or Schneider or whoever apologizes that that didn't sit well with Bobby Wagner. And I, I kind of get it. I mean, these players are wired in a certain way. And when you're told you're not wanted after what you've done for an organization, that's going to be normal. I think that stuff specifically with someone like Wagner will heal over time, you know, when he's coming back for a 10 year anniversary or, or whatever. But I'm sure for this game, it is going to, you know, he is going to have that extra chip on his shoulder. And I think he's played well this year. I think he's played better than most people thought he was going to play this year. I know there were some who kind of thought he was a declining player uh, last year, but uh, I know he's had a lot of good moments for that Rams team. And we'll see kind of where he goes with his career going forward. But yeah, I mean, I, I would expect them to play hard. I, I joke sometimes there are the, uh, you know, teams that at this point in the season, put their hands in and go one, two, three Cancun. I yeah. forget what NBA team originally did that, but uh, this Rams team hasn't been that kind of, uh, that kind of team this year. So yeah, I think Wagner's going to come in looking to uh, control the game make a big play, make a statement, say something afterwards, say something daring. I'm sure he'll be barking at the Seahawks sideline uh, during the game. So that, that will be a fun supply. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of contrasts between Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. You know, they were drafted on the same day. They left the team on the same day. Their careers in Seattle were exactly overlapped. And, you know, without question, this has been the greatest 12 year run in the history of the Seahawks franchise. And you look back at the players, the talent, the personalities that have been a part of that. There've been so many big, big personalities, so many great borderline, if not no doubt hall of fame players, you know, and, and you can go down the list, obviously Russell Wilson, but you got uh, Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and Michael Bennett and Marshawn Lynch and, on and on and on Doug Sherman, Baldwin, all yeah. these guys. Yeah. And, and I would say that the Seahawk of this era has been Bobby Wagner and he's, he was the steadying force through all of that. He stayed at an all pro level the entire time, even after the dissolution of the LOB and all of that stuff. And, and I, I want Bobby to be taken this personally. You know, and and the Rams misfortunes have not been a reflection of his play. Unlike with Russell Wilson in Denver, Bobby Wagner's had a great year. He had an insane game against Seattle the first time. And and there have been quotes coming out of the Rams locker room this week saying that they're playing this game for Bobby Wagner. I mean, how wild is that? This guy has been there for four months and these guys are like, we're doing this for Bobby in Seattle, you know, and and I think it speaks to uh, the level of respect that he's earned in this league that he can go in and immediately be a leader at that level. And then of course, the way that you hear his former teammates talk about him and how excited they are to see him. Uh, it's so different than the reception that Russell Wilson got here. And a lot of that is timing too. A lot of it is positional. I mean, it was so poetic that the first game of the post Russell Wilson era was against Russell Wilson in Seattle on Monday night. I mean, everything lined up so perfectly in that regard, this is going to carry less fanfare, but I, I think that to the guys in the Seahawks locker room, this is every bit as important and they want to beat Bobby, of course, but it's definitely going to be hugs and handshakes all around both before and after that game. Yeah, I think that's right. He, he was always a well-liked guy, not only by his teammates, but I feel like when you just hear, opposing players or people around the league you know sometimes they talk about certain players with a specific reverence or like no you don't know how good this guy is I feel like he always sort of fit that category like there was uh, I don't remember anyone taking the contrarian take on Bobby Wagner any of those years that now you know he's actually not that good you know even though you know there might be a play here or a play there in coverage he gives up I mean that's pretty much any linebacker uh, in the NFL so yeah he has been just sort of a physical beast dependable uh smart leader type of player for uh for so long for sure yeah yeah and we we had your former colleague john boyle on the show and i believe it was him that was talking about like you know look members of media aren't expecting to be best friends with these players but bobby is a guy who remembered you remembered your name 
um, wasn't just punching the clock when he talked to the press, you know, I mean, he, he took that as seriously as, as he did his on-field stuff. And, and I think that's to be commended, like just a true pros pro, the guy who walks into a locker room and gets that immediate respect. And it goes beyond just what he's done on the field. No doubt. He was always available, always friendly, always asking you how you're doing, making small talk, uh, all that stuff. Like you said, I try not to put too much into that because it's like, you know, as a reporter, you're in there for 45 minutes. And so I'm like, I'm not going to judge whether a guy is a good guy or a bad guy based on that. But uh, yeah, no, he was always someone uh, from a reporter, from a media's perspective, who kind of, I, I think he also had a business savvy to him too, that, you know, knowing that, Hey, you talk you, to the media, you say something, you get your face out there. You're not just a helmet and a number, you know, people are going to remember you a little bit more. You're more marketable. So uh, I think he had that going for him as well. So obviously this game on Sunday carries major importance as far as Seattle wanting to get in the playoffs. One, I think psychologically there's a huge difference now with the 17 game schedule between finishing eight and nine and nine and eight, right? I mean, it, it does feel dichotomous. It's a winning season or a losing season. Unfortunately, if Seattle wins, it does not guarantee them a playoff spot. And the responsibility for that falls at the feet of Seahawks players and coaches. You know, they, they had their chance at six and three, um, to control their destiny and, and make sure they got in. They didn't do that. They lost five of six, but now they are in a position to make it happen, but they got to beat the Rams. And then the lions have to beat the Packers on Sunday night. Uh, there, there's no other way around it. There's no other permutations to factor in. So they, they flexed lions Packers to Sunday night. It takes a little bit of the drama out of it. You know, as a Seahawks fan, I would love to see those two teams or those two games being played side by side so that no one knows, you know, whether they're in or out before kickoff. But uh, if the Seahawks do win, it does technically eliminate the Lions from the playoffs. That said, you know, if there's any team in the NFL right now, any coach in the NFL right now that I, I can count on to have his team up and play in, even in a game that doesn't necessarily matter as far as the playoffs go, it's Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. And I think for that franchise, the difference between finishing nine and eight and eight and nine is massive because of how many losing seasons they've had and and what it would you know, tell their fan base and tell the guys in that locker room if they can go out, especially after the rough start that they had and, and finish nine and eight. But as you look at that game, just from someone that covers the NFL in your perspective, how likely is it that Detroit pulls off the upset on Sunday? They've got a great shot. And, you know, I usually don't like whining about this type of stuff, but I think it's nonsense that the, that the Lions Packers game is not on at the same time as the Seahawks game. And it's, and it's something that's totally uh, avoidable, you know, based on how you want to do the schedule. I mean, those motivations should be aligned. You should have, yeah. if you have three teams fighting for the same playoff spot, they should be playing at the same time. They shouldn't be going into their game knowing whether it matters or doesn't matter. You know, that like, like you said, they're going to play hard regardless the same time there's a difference between playing for your pride and your film and yes. playing for a playoff spot where you've worked the past you know eight months whatever it is trying to earn this opportunity especially a franchise like the lions who like getting to the playoffs i mean that's like a team like the seahawks winning the super bowl uh for for the lions so um first of all, I, I think the nfl did a terrible job there i don't know why they do it this way uh it's it, it's ridiculous and it shouldn't be that way Having said that, I think the Lions have a great shot. The Lions offense is legit. Like I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for it to come back down to earth in any number you look at right now. I mean, that is a like a top eight offense yes. in the NFL. And it's not one of the most talented units, uh, although they've got some young players who are playing well in Amon Ra, St. Brown. They got the rookie Jamison Williams out there. Their offensive line right now is as healthy and as good, I believe, as it's been all season long. So I think uh, I think they're going to be able to move the football. I think they're going to be able to put up points against that Packers defense. My concern would be on the other side of the ball, what we've seen from that Lions defense. It's It's been one of the worst units in the NFL. They've had some moments here and there where you thought they were turning a corner, but overall it hasn't really happened. But I think the line is four and a half, and I, I just you know turned in my picks column to the ringer before I came on with you guys and i've got the lions uh covering the four and a half and it would not surprise me at all 
if they won that game. You know, I think everyone's looking at the Packers going, they figured it out, they're back. And that's another coach who I think has done a really good job because I thought that thing mm -hmm. was falling apart a month ago and it hasn't. At the same time, I don't trust their uh, defense and they've been getting these big plays on special teams, which maybe they get another one, but you can't really count on that. And so uh, I think that's going to be a fun game that's going to come all the way down to the wire. And uh, like I said, I, I think the Lions have a real shot to win that game. Yeah, I, I hope you're right, man. Uh, it, it's tough when you got an Aaron Rodgers-led team that's playing this well aside from Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's been as good as he's been the last couple of years when he's been winning MVPs, but it's not like he's washed. This is not a right. Russell Wilson season from him. He was dealing with a lot of adversity just from a roster standpoint with, with injuries, with a bunch of untested wide receivers losing who I think is still the best wide receiver in the NFL and Devonte Adams. And it took them a while to figure that out, but they're getting healthy. They are a scary, scary team. And uh, it would just be so cool to see Detroit knock them off. Um, you know, I get where the NFL is coming from. They want to see Aaron Rodgers in a winner go home game in, in prime time, but for the good of the league, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I really wish those games were being played side by side. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on before we go we had Greg Rosenthal on last week to do some playoff handicapping. And ultimately he predicted the Eagles over the chiefs. I had the chiefs over the Eagles, but one thing that we both agreed on is that there are three teams in each conference that are a tier above the rest. We know you're an Eagles guy from way back. And I still believe that if Jalen hurts is fully healthy, they're the best team in the NFL, but how do you see the playoffs shaking out? Yeah, I agree with that. I think in the NFC, it's a three team race, Eagles, Cowboys, and Niners. And AFC, it's the Bengals, Bills, and the Chiefs. I mean, I would be genuinely surprised if it wasn't one of those six teams hoisting the Lombardi, if it weren't two of those six teams play in the Super Bowl, having, you know, with the caveat that anything can happen and crazy stuff happens. And listen, I could this could look really stupid uh, a month from now. But uh, I think I picked at the, before the season, I picked the Bills. I forget. I, had, I think I had picked the Bills over the Bucks. I was wrong about the Bucks. I didn't think they were going to be well, not this yet. team. Not yeah, yet. Well, <laughs> I'm counting them out. Uh, talk about a one, two, three Cancun team. I mean, that team has been yeah. checked out for since like uh, mid November. That's been the worst watch in the NFL, the Tampa Bay Bucks. But you're right. They're still going to be in it here. I don't think they're going to make a lot of noise. No, but, no. Uh, and then the halfway point of the season, I think I got to do a new prediction for the ringer. And I said, Bills over the Eagles in that one. And so I've been on the Bills for the entire season. I'm going to stick with the Bills here. Uh, I think it doesn't always look like it looks a little uneven at times. They'll turn the ball over, and then you look up, and guess what? They won by 10 or 14 or 21 points once again. So uh, they can make up for mistakes and bad possessions and all that stuff. Um, obviously, the DeMar Hamlin stuff, who knows how that affects a team. I'm not going to pretend I know the answer to that, but if I'm just basing it on body of work through uh, 17 weeks, I like the Bills, and I'll, I'll stick with the midseason prediction and go with the Eagles uh, to make it there and lose, although it would not shock me at all if the Cowboys or Niners got there. But I'm with you. If Hurts is healthy, um, just watching kind of the issues they've had here the past couple of weeks, a lot of them, the answer has been, well, Minshew is playing and Hurts is not playing, and Hurts can get you out of some of these tough situations. So uh, that that's my prediction. Uh, Bill, Bill, Bills over Eagles, I'll stick with that from uh, what I had about eight weeks ago or so. Yes. Uh, so Bills over Eagles was my preseason prediction. And and I, when I say Chiefs over Eagles, I mean, we're talking coin flip, right? And and I would throw the Bengals in there too, because the Bengals have had the Chiefs number incredibly over the last year. But you're right. It's, it's going to be two of those six teams, I think. But if you had to identify a couple of dark horses outside of that top tier, uh, who do you think is going to make the most noise outside of those six teams? All right, I'm looking at my little playoff sheet here that I've been working on uh, this week. It's not going to be the Vikings. It's not going to be the Bucks. You know, I, I think whoever wins this seven seed, honestly, could certainly win a playoff game. All, all three of those teams, Seahawks, Lions, or Packers, 
It would not shock me if one of those teams won a playoff game specifically. If you get to play the Vikings, now if you're playing the Niners, then it probably would shock me. So I guess my answer is whoever plays the Vikings in the first round, I think has a real shot <laughs> to pull off the upset, not to be mean to Vikings fans. They've heard it all season long. Yep. But if that's the Giants as the sixth seed playing the Vikings as the three, I think the Giants have a shot to win it. If it's the Seahawks, Lions, or Packers playing the Vikings, however the seeding plays out, seven versus two, I think one of those teams uh, certainly would have a shot there in the NFC. And then the AFC, I don't know. I'm not get I'm not certainly not getting suckered in by this Chargers team again. <laughs> I think I think some people are. I'm not I there. Am. I am you are? Yeah. Okay. I'm not there. I uh, you know what? I might be more inclined to say that uh a team like the Jaguars could, you know, and, and they'll, they would get a home game, but I, I, I would be more inclined to say they can maybe make a little noise over uh, the chargers. You know, I think the Jaguars offense really for most of the season, they've had some dips, but for most of the season, that has been a really efficient offense. Trevor Lawrence is playing his best football uh, of, of his entire career right now. I still have some questions about them on defense, but uh, they could they could definitely win a playoff game because if they get in, they're going to be playing at home in the first round, and I, I think they would have a great shot to win that game. I, I like that call. You know, we, we didn't talk about the Jaguars at all last week, and, and they still have to beat the Titans uh, to, you know, to get in. But I, I like them in the AFC to make some noise for sure. I I like the Chargers. The way that they've been playing since they've gotten healthy and, look, health is wealth this time of the year for sure. It's just the, the healthiest teams are the ones that last the longest. Uh, you know, and, and with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams back, that offense looks like the offense we all expected coming in. And the defense has been top three by just about every measure over the last month or so. So, you know, depending on who they play, I, I definitely think that uh, they could find an upset or two along the way, but it would be really fun to see a Jaguars run with, with Trevor Lawrence. And, and after, you know, we talk about how bad the vibes were in Seattle last year, you cannot have vibes that were more atrocious than Jacksonville had last year. And to see, you know, Doug Peterson who's so easy to cheer for come in take over a likable team with likable stars on it and, and put together what could be a winning season uh, is, is pretty cool to see. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, they went from the biggest coaching disaster in recent memory, maybe uh, all time to just yep. a professional competent coach who players like, and uh, it's worked out well for them. I mean, I didn't think they were going to be able to do this because they had some bad luck in one score games. And, um, you know, you felt like they were in a lot of games in the fourth quarter and didn't win them, but the Titans falling apart and Ryan Tannehill getting injured. I'm still not counting the Titans out. Vrabel, you know, usually yeah. finds a way in these situations. So I'm looking forward to that game Saturday night, but that uh, should be Jack the Sunday night game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it easily, you know, I had a uh, friend, he's a professor at Penn, name is uh, Dayniz Selman, if you want to follow my read, he, every, any playoff scenario you want, he is the king of playoff scenarios, but he had the best solution, I'll give him credit, week 18, AFC plays Saturday or Sunday, NFC plays Saturday or Sunday, you rotate every year, boom, Problem solved. That that's all it would take. You own both days. It's this, you know, great. You own the football weekend. There's no college football on Saturday or Sunday. There's no other big sporting event. You have uh, half the league play one day, half the league play the other day. It ensures that in the first round of the playoffs, everyone's got the same day's rest. Yes. There's nothing unequal there with one team playing Saturday, one team playing Sunday. If teams are intertwined, they play at the same time. Simple solution. That's it, Roger. man. Your, your boy just fixed the NFL. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Sheila, I know this has been a really odd week for those covering the NFL, and we really, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, this was fun. You know, like you said, uh, it, it has been a tough week for sure. And it's not that you want to, you know, move move past DeMar Hamlin or anything like that. You want to keep him uh, in our thoughts at the same time. It, it's been fun to talk about some of the silly, trivial, uh, inconsequential NFL stuff that we all like talking about. So I thought this was a, a good mix and a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, man. Well, again, appreciate having you on. And it's late where you're at, so we'll let you get out of here. But before we do... Let the folks listening know where they can get more of you. 
Yeah, you can listen to me on the Ringer NFL feed. So uh, that feed has different shows, and I'm on two of them. One of them is Extra Point Taken every Monday night with Ben Solak. We have a lot of fun going back and forth on that show. And then on Thursdays, I host a show called The Scramble, where I have uh, various guests on and various topics. And so both those shows are going to be on the Ringer NFL feed, and they're going to continue throughout the playoffs. And then we'll figure out the offseason after that. And, of course, you can read my work at theringer.com. And uh, if you want any Philly content, we have another podcast, The Ringers uh, Philly Special, which as we were joking about, I get to get off some Philly stakes uh, on that podcast. But of yeah. course, we talk about uh, the Eagles and their Sixers stuff on there as well. Uh, that's, that's awesome. man. And, and those listening, make sure that you're following him on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia as well. Uh, he is one of my favorite NFL follows, has been for a long time, even before uh, he joined the Seattle beat and and certainly ever since then. I, I will say, you know, one of the coolest things that's happened in my time writing about the uh, the Seahawks is when you joined the Seahawks beat, you immediately just reached out to a lot of the people who are already doing it. And, and you and I were able to get together in Seattle and have a couple of beers and get yeah. to know each other a little bit. And and I, I really cherish that memory, man. So that was, that was extremely cool of you. That was fun. I th- I think that was a big game. There was a big game seven on in the NBA. Who was we it? We were OKC yep. Warriors. OKC or something? and Golden State. Is that yeah, what it was? It was. Okay. It, it was. was yep. I couldn't stay out for the whole game. I, mean, I you know when you have a I think one daughter under one and uh, you know the other one was three or four and it's the off season. Uh, you can't uh, you you can't stay out the whole time. So I think I believe I left at halftime or third quarter of that game. But I think that was a classic game and yeah we had a lot of fun and. Uh, it was fun meeting you and hanging out with you for sure all right friends that will do it for today you can find mike and i on social media as well i am on twitter at, at jackson bevins that's j-a-c-s-o-n mike is at, at mike barwin and the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can find us on instagram at, at cigar thoughts nfl and on facebook at seahawk cigar thoughts of course you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts and if you're listening on spotify or apple podcasts and you like the show Drop us a five-star rating. Leave us a quick review. Despite being on the air for just over a year, we've already got nearly 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms, and that is not something Mike and I take for granted. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for audiobooks, music, and podcasts, so it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Hey!